In this presentation, we will discuss how to figure the student loan interest deduction. This information can be found in publication 970. Your student loan interest deduction is generally the smaller of 2,500 or the interest paid during the tax year. So that's going to be our limitation. In essence, a cap, the interest that we paid. Remember, we're not talking about the principal portion of the loan. It doesn't mean how much money we paid back for the loan itself, but the interest portion and the interest portion then being capped at that 2,500 or at the amount allocated to interest of the payments that we are made. Remember that this information will usually be reported to us on a 1098E. So we'll usually have this information and then can use it to generate uh, or fill out our tax return. Not necessarily the case that we'll have that information with a 1098E in all cases, but typically we will. Back to the text. However, the amount determined above may be phased out, gradually reduced, or eliminated based on your filing status and MAGI, which is the modified adjusted gross income so if we take a look at a test 1040 we have our test 1040 if we consider the adjusted gross income in this case it would be on line seven but there's going to be a modification modified adjusted gross income means we're going to modify it for something specific to this particular item the interest deduction back to the text as explained below, you can use Worksheet 4.1 at the end of the chapter to figure both your modified adjusted gross income and your deduction. Form 1098E. To help you figure your student loan interest deduction, you should receive a Form 1098E student loan interest statement. Generally, a, an institution such as a bank or government agency that receives interest payments of 600 or more during 2018 on one or more qualified student loans must send a Form 1098E. So note here we have a limitation that you want to be aware of. It sometimes helps to think how this stuff works, of course, and note that the institution, the bank or the government agency that's receiving the loan payments, so they're getting the payments from the student, the taxpayer, then is required to, to file the Form 1098E in many situations. But of course, they would rather not because it's of course it's more paperwork for them to do. The reason they're required to do it is through regulation. So the IRS, the government has no more leverage with them to to require them to report certain things. And therefore they're going to do it if we required. Note the requirement is if there are 600 or more payments during 2018. So that received interest payments, interest payments of 600 or more during 2018, meaning if there could be a situation where it was less than the 600 and therefore there was no form that was filed. And that means there might be a situation where we have an, a deduction we could have that could benefit us for which we won't receive the form 1098 for and we want to just be aware that that situation could be the case. Back to the text, to each borrower by January 31st, 2019. So note that if you have loan payments, you should receive the document 1098E by January 31st following the tax year, in our case 2018, therefore January 31st, 2019. If you don't get it by that time, then you may want to contact the institution and see if you're in one of the, those cases where maybe they don't provide it or not are not required to do so and then think about how you can go from that point forward. Back to the text. 
for qualified student loans taken out before September 1st, 2014, or 2004, not 2014, 2004, the institution is required to include on Form 1098E only payments of stated interest. Other interest payments, such as certain loan organization fees and capitalized interest, may not appear on your form you receive. However, if you pay uh, qualifying interest that isn't included on Form 1098E, you can also deduct those amounts. So in other words, the 1098E we're hoping includes all the information at this point in time, and there could be uh, information other than just the simple interest, which could include organization fees and capitalized interest. So at this point in time, we're hoping that information is on the form 1098E, but if it's not, we might have situations where we have more than just the simple interest that could possibly be uh, deductible. So we could see allocating payments between interest and principals for more information regarding that. Back to the text, the lender may ask for a completed form W9S or similar statement to obtain the borrower's name, address, and taxpayer identification number. The form may also be used by the borrower to certify that the student loan was uh, incurred solely to pay the qualified education expenses. So notice we they got to have the information for us to, to provide the documentation, including the 1098. And that means, so that's a form W-9 that might have to be filled out by the, by the borrower. In essence, usually the taxpayer we're talking about here. And that information has all the required information. So they have all, all your life information on it, right? <laughs> your name, your address, and the identification number, possibly social security number, so that they can then report this information to you and probably to the IRS as well. And so they need that information. If they don't have it, then of course uh, we would we would need to provide it to them if there's any changes for it, including something like the address. Then we want to make sure that it's updated. We might be able to get this information electronically in some cases as well. Quick look at the form 1040 in our test 1040. We have our simple single individual. Just note, remember that if we had income up top, we have the thirty thousand of income up top, and we have a qualified student loan interest. Just the interest portion would be deductible typically given to us on that 1098E. It's going to be on Schedule 1. So Schedule 1's new for 2018. So just remember this is where like the above the line deductions go. The deductions that anybody gets. So this is one of those deductions we don't need to itemize in order to get. That's going to be one of the benefits of it. Down here on line 33. So here's 33. You can take a, a look at the worksheet that includes uh, some phase out type information on it. If we close this back out, that then pulls to the 1040. If we go up top, so we had 30,000 in income. This case, we had that amount, the 600, bringing the adjusted gross income to the 29,400. And that's one of the kind of the issues with the adjusted gross income, because typically when we look at the income limitation, we look at the AGI, and they said it was a modified AGI. Well, the funny thing about this one, of course, is that the, the deduction that we're including is going to be adjusting the AGI. Uh, the AGI amount. It's an above the line deduction. So whenever we use the AGI, the adjusted gross income, to think about an income limitation of some deduction that then is going to affect the adjusted gross income, we usually have to do something possibly taking that adjustment out <laughs> when we're considering what the adjustment is. So that's one of the reasons we could have a modification to the adjusted gross income. But just remember, as income goes up, then of course, we could start to phase out and lose the part of the deduction. 
and we'll take a look at more examples of that in future presentations. So we also said that there's a cap here. Note that there's an income limitation we'll take a look at in the future. We also said that this can be uh, capped at 2,500. So if we paid 600, we got the 600. What if we paid like 3,000? Well, if I put 3,000 into the input screen, and again, tax software kind of helps because it mirrors the code. So if we look at tax software, we can kind of test what's happening in the code, and we could say, oh, I mean, that lines up, that makes sense, typically. So then we're going to say, oh, well, 3,000, well, what'll happen? If I go to the form, back to the form, it, it caps it at 2,500. Why? Well, if we go into our, our worksheet here, we've got the 2,500 capped. And line one says total qualified student loan interest paid not more than 2,500. So that's going to be our limitation. Now, next we'll, we'll see in this worksheet, we see some references to 65,000 and 135,000 if married filing joint. That looks like an, an income limitation, a phase out limitation. So our first cap then we're thinking about, we can't get more of, this is just interest. Note, this doesn't mean that your payments weren't more than this because the principal portion isn't what we're talking about. It's just the interest portion. So the interest portion would have to be uh, 2,500 or less or will be capped at the 2,500. The actual payments you made for the loans could be, will, will be definitely much more than that if you had just an interest portion of the 2,500. Now this amount, of course, on the schedule one is flowing through as we saw to the 1040. So now it's gonna be the difference between the 30,000 taxable income and the adjusted gross income, 27,500. We have a standard deduction in this case of the 12,000 and then the taxable income down to 15,500. Note that this amount deducted, once again, isn't part of that standard deduction or the itemized deductions. We get it even if we can't itemize and we still get the standard deduction, which is nice. Then we have the tax calculated on it. Now, if we want to see the effect of this, it's kind of nice. We can go to, I'm going to go to a summary type view and say, well, what would happen in summary if I go down and I say that uh, here's basically the tax. I'm not going to deal with the interest. We have this tax owed and we could see up top that we had this adjustment of the 2,500. That's going to adjust the income from 30 to 27. Well, the tax is at 1,673. The rates marginal tax rate of 12 effective tax tax rate of uh 10 8 uh 10.8 percent that's going to be like the average tax rate and the highest tax marginal tax rate at this point well what if we took this out then you could say all right well what if we took the three thousand away and we went back here well it changes to 1973 so you, with tax software you can kind of see the effect notice we're not talking about a credit here we're talking about a, a deduction the deduction lowering income so the 2,500 deduction, if we take a look at our, our uh, calculator here, 190, 1973, if we go back in and we say 2,500, because that's the cap, and then we, we go back over and take a look at our change now and say, all right, minus the 1,673, that's a benefit of $300. So $300 is the change, uh, the, the, the tax benefit of the deduction if i divide that by the 2500 we get 12 right because that's the marginal tax rate or the highest tax rate kind of benefit so the benefit is in relation in essence to the tax rates and usually the marginal tax rate is the highest tax rate that you're at so when you start to take uh deductions then it's going to start peeling off on the highest rate so that so if you have more income from this point 
then it could increase your tax at 12%, even though the average is 10%. If we get more deductions, we're going to start peeling off benefits at the bit at the greater 12% rather than the average 10% until we go below to the next tax bracket.